Good morning. We are glad you're here this morning and uh, trust you're growing in faith and Lord and uh, confidence in him as well. We want to be his people and uh, we are a bunch of messed up people, but we want to not be as messed up, right? And uh, we'll be sort of messed up till he comes back because we're sinful people and we want to be more like Christ and uh, Jesus, our, our model, our example, but mostly our Savior and Lord. And so this is a lifetime journey we're on. And there's not one area of our lives that he does not touch. There's not one part that's ours alone and uh, that, that he, he does not have the right to be Lord over, including our money. So in these four weeks, we're dealing with uh, kingdomnomics. God's system, his economy functions far different than any other world system. And it's hard to, hard to trust him in what he says. And I'm with you on this. I have had to wrestle in my life just as you wrestle with your life in these subjects. But, but, but what, as I've said before, what he wants is to see growth in every aspect of who we are. Why does it, the church even talk about money? We talk about money because Jesus does. He talks about it a lot. And he, ta- he talks a lot about money because it has everything to do with the condition of our hearts. He calls us to be disciples, and he knew that our heart goes where our treasure goes. So whatever we hold most valuable, that's what our heart moves toward. And he knows how hard it is for us to hold lightly to money and to things. And and he, he doesn't call anybody not to be rich. He never tells us not to be rich. He just says, in your wealth, just be careful about it. Don't let it dominate you. And uh, there's a lot of different teaching. Remember, Matthew 6, 21, our key verse for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It just makes sense. And we know that from our life experience. So, so we are continuing to learn that we can do nothing better than to trust our hearts to Jesus Christ. And you can't follow him without dealing with your money. We can't, can't do it because stewardship and discipleship cannot be separated. We've already been these two places the previous two Sundays. First of all, own nothing. Own nothing. We don't own anything. God owns everything. And if we're wrong about this, then we're going to be wrong about everything else. We can't separate stewardship from discipleship. Now, some of you may be first timers in this. It's the first time you've had any teaching about this, and it's very difficult to hear, and you probably think this is all self-serving, and it is not. That's why I want to keep pointing you to the principles of God through all of this. Some, some of you may feel cautious about it. I realize, I recognize, as I did the last two weeks, that we have people here that are eking out in existence, uh, barely getting by. We have single moms. We have lots of older people on fixed incomes. We have wealthy people. We have, we have people that are living with other people because they're homeless. We have everything here. But God's principles are applicable for every single person, whatever culture, whatever time period, his truth is truth. 
And, and some of you have been, have been manipulated by churches in the past. You've been duped. You've been guilted into giving. And I'm sorry for that. I apologize for that. We never want to be guilty about that here. We just want to be faithful to the word. And that's what we're trying to do in this series. Believers and unbelievers alike, no matter who we are, we brought nothing with us and we're taking nothing with us. And God wants us to learn how to trust him with what he has put in our hands. We own nothing. We also learned last week, manage everything. Own nothing, manage everything. We have been given God's trust fund, and it's going to be different amounts for different people. Uh, we are not entitled owners. We are trust managers, and we are going to count. You know, some of you are teachers, and you've heard it over and over. Am I going to have to know this for the test? And in and, and this matter, yes, you will. Because Christ is coming back and we are going to give an account for how we spent our lives. Not just in money, but our time, our energy, resources, uh, whatever, what, what, whatever your life looks like, we're going to give an account to God for our investment in his purposes in the world. Now, the, 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 the truth is nobody, nobody just haphazardly learns about money management. We don't drift in it. We don't stumble upon it. No, no, we have to get, it's more than giving attention to it. We don't drift into good money management. It has to be, we have to de deliberately pursue a plan. It's more a walk in our life than it is simply a talk. Now, we know pro athletes themselves get into all kinds of financial problems because they haven't been giving advice. Last year, a couple years ago, I remember reading the Indianapolis Star, and they brought in for the new rookies, for the Colts, uh, a, a kind of a life planner, someone to counsel them and their new life, because suddenly they have notoriety, they're on the screen, and so they teach them uh, about even dinner etiquette. Some of them have never been to a formal dinner, and so they gave them training on how to act at a dinner table, at a, at a, at a, at a uh, posh function, or how to deal with the media, how to deal with social media. They give advice on it. They include in that teaching what you do when suddenly you have a fat bank account and your friends and your family start hitting you up. What do you do? How do you handle that? So uh, those who don't get such training or don't pay attention to it, they're the, they're the pro athletes end up going bankrupt because they, they, did, they, didn't, they didn't find training. They didn't, they didn't learn to manage. So this week, it's do something. Do something. And I've got six things I want to challenge us to do. Not all six will apply to you probably, but I think at least one will. This is also why you have this card that we're going to turn in next week. Not, no names, just to give, give an encouragement that what you want to do. And by the way, at the bottom where it says where I want to be, that doesn't mean before I die. <laughs> it means in 2018, where I want to be in the next year. Here's where I am now. Maybe where you are right now, you've never given on a regular basis. Maybe you never give, but you're going to start. So this is where you are. This is where you want to be in the next year. Something you can measure. Now, maybe you're thinking, you know, I can't even, I'm not even, I'm not in shape to give 10%. I think you are because it's what God says that he'll take care of you. But if you're not, this, just where are you going to start? Maybe you can only give 2%, or maybe that's all you've given, and next year you're going to give 3%. You know, whatever. I think God, in every area of our life, just wants to see us move 
and not stay stationary. So I hope we'll be encouraging to one another. And I want to encourage you, if you've never tithed, at least start there. Now, if you can't, it's whatever, it's, it's between you and the Lord. But I want to encourage you to try the tithe. I think you'll be astounded at how God takes care of you. So here are six things that I, I want to suggest to us. First of all, do something about getting out of financial bondage. Now, I want to confess to you embarrassingly that in years past, I led my family in financial bondage through debt. I drank the Kool-Aid of the culture that said, enjoy now and pay later. And I think probably many of you have been there or are there right now. Now, now I always, we always gave tithes and offerings to the church, but I got into the debt trap and it was a terrible place to be. And it's such a freeing thing when we don't have to be under that any longer. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. People get into bondage because they get now what they should have waited for or maybe shouldn't have had ever to begin with. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Debt puts us in bondage. We have learned to spend what we don't have. Debt as a lifestyle will hinder your ability to live freely. It, 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 it will create guilt. That I believe, I believe every person in this church who loves Jesus wants to be generous. I believe that. But I think we get ourselves into, a situa into situations where we can't be, and then that creates guilt in our lives. And God doesn't want us to live that way. The IRS says that the average filer pays, pays 10 times in, in, in debt interest over the course of year than he gives to charitable causes. Our nation is trapped. And so, we have learned that you can wander into debt. That's what happened to me. I wandered into debt, but you don't wander out of debt. You only can get out of debt by making a plan for yourself to get out of it. Many of us need plastic surgery. You hear me? You cut them up. You throw them out. That's one of the reasons we offer financial peace several times a year. The next round is in January. It's a series, uh, usually on a Wednesday night, where you go and just learn basic scripture principles and wise money management principles. Many who go through that uh, uh, will attest to its, its power in their lives at getting them to a place of freedom in their lives. Don't be embarrassed. Do something about it. And we have to learn to say no to some good things for the better things. Money's to be our servant. We are not to serve money. Money so often mimics God. It mimics God by promising you security or a sense of significance or worth, uh, but it cannot deliver on those things. It can promise that, but it doesn't deliver. We give our allegiance to the only one qualified to do that, Jesus Christ himself. So to whatever it is you think will bless your life, that's what you, that's what you focus on. And many people do that with money. And by, the Bible often says that money is, is idolatry. The wrong placement of money is idolatry. It rivals the position of God in our lives. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, the love of money, not money, the love of money is a root, a root, not the only root, but a root of all kinds of evil. 
Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Jesus never told anyone that what they really need is a better job, but to make more money. He never said that. That was never the answer to their dilemma. You can't, none of us can really ultimately protect our money, right? But we can protect our hearts. And that's what God wants us to do with the hearts that he gives us when we are renewed in him. Second of all, do something to support the mission of the church. Now, I know people in churches think this is just a self-serving thing, that, that the preacher just, just wants a lot of money around. Listen, uh, my experience with the church is when God is alive in his people, the church's needs are always met. This, I, I'm teaching what I'm teaching because I, I learned these things. Now, I wasn't taught wise money management. That's why I got in this, in this, in this debt trap, uh, you know, early on. Um, but my father and mother taught me when I was little about about faithfully giving to the local church. Now, my dad was a blue-collar worker. Uh, he told me one time he never made, I think, more than eighteen dollars or $19,000 in the course of his life. We lived in this little bungalow right off 40 in Springfield, Ohio. My bedroom was a converted attic. The only way to get there was through my parents' bedroom and my mom's closet to the stairway. That, that, that was where, I, I mean, I'm trying to give you the picture that, that, that my parents were humble people and they weren't wealthy people. Uh, but they loved the church and they gave generously to the work of the church and they would talk about it. And I remember them sometimes uh, fretting over money, you know, how they were going to do things, but they never cut corners when it came to giving to, the, giving to the church. And I appreciate their modeling that. And it didn't matter what was, it didn't matter what was happening there either. And, and sadly, so, so many people have, have uh, oh... They've gotten politics of church. I hate politics in the church. It just sickens me. We try to stay away from that kind of behavior. Or, or um, you know, we, 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 when it comes to church budget, there's no perfect church budget. I mean, um, I've been here for 30 years, and I've seen people at the helm lead our budget. They, they are, they are, they're men of integrity and uprightness. They feel a tremendous burden to, to, to direct the budget in the way that it should. And every church needs to operate by a healthy budget. But every, every church budget can be better. And I remember times in, the, in, in growing up that my, my home church would you know, go through a struggle. And, and my dad would get irritated with people who were saying they were going to stop giving and they'd be their boycott because they didn't like it. And my dad would say, I'm not going to do that because when I give my money, it's going to the Lord. I give to the Lord. I don't give really to the church, even though that's where it's going. And those people are responsible for what they do with it. I'm not responsible for that. I'm responsible to do what God told me to do. And I appreciate that teaching so much because, you know, the local church is where we... Uh, this is, like I said last week, it's where we get fed. This is our, this is, you're my family. This is where we share together. And so the first part of my tithe and then offerings are going to come here because this is, this is where we do life together. And we're here as a result of the church's mission. And so we give to God. Somebody well said, some Christians eat a meal every week and then skip out on the check. That's, that's kind of what church is like if we don't give to the, to the local body. That's what we're feeding here. Our children are being trained here. My grandchildren are being raised here. And, uh, you know, if I don't give, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not contributing. So you don't have to give money to come here. You can come here every week. 
you know? And by the way, let me say, I don't know what anybody gives. Would you please? I almost want you to repeat it after me. The preacher does not know. I, 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 I say that because people think they do. And some preachers do know what people give. I don't. We don't practice that here. We never have. Uh, I remember years ago, there was a man I, I, I bypassed shaking his hand. And word got back to me that he thought I shook hands with people who get, were big givers. And what saddened me and sickened me that he really thought I was that kind of person to begin with. I don't know what anybody gives. I don't, I, I, if I wanted to know, I wouldn't even know how to find out. That's between you and the Lord. We're all in this together, and I am trying to learn these principles just like you're trying to learn them as well. I'm with you in this, and I wrestle with these things just like you. So you don't need money to come. You don't need to give money to come here, but you are here because somebody gave that you could be here. And that's why this church exists, to get more and more people into the kingdom of heaven. Third, do something to model generosity to others. We have prayer warriors and we have giving warriors. It's sad, it seems to me, that in the local church we practice don't ask, don't tell. And I just said, I don't know what anybody gives and I don't. But that doesn't mean I don't think there, there, there ought to be some good stories to tell. We tell, tell stories about other things in faith and how God answers our prayers and what he's doing for us. But somehow when it comes to money issues, we're so hush-hush about it. We don't have to talk about amounts, but we certainly can talk about what God is doing and how he's blessing and, and, and enlarging our hearts. And, you know, it's not true in the Bible that it's silent. I mean, Barnabas is praised because he sells land and brings it to the feet of the apostles. There's great joy and generosity in his life because Christ has touched his life. The Macedonians were praised, as we looked at two weeks ago, for their extreme generosity. In that text, remember, it says, since you excel in everything, in faith, and speech, and knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. And so when it's appropriate, we ought to have stories to tell. There ought to be all kinds of things how God is blessed. Now, he may not bless you like you want to be blessed. I got this uh, text from a guy in our church a couple weeks ago. I mean, this is before the giving series started. This isn't in the middle of it. But um, he wrote me and he said, uh, storehouse tithing works. My wife and I wrote a check for $10,000 to the church Sunday. And just today, I was paid another $100,000 development fee. So next Sunday, I'll be able to write another $10,000 check. We don't give to get. But I've always found that if I'm generous with the church and others, that God seems to return that to me tenfold. I said, what a brilliant testimony. Thank you for sharing. What's true for you is also true for the 70-year-old widow on a fixed income. God is faithful. And by the way, I truly mean that. There's a man in our church and his wife, they have to move from our area. He's been jobless for months and they're losing their house where they're living. And uh, he's sad that he has to leave because he loves the church, he loves the community. But he also told me last Sunday after church, he said, I want you to know, we're still tithing every week. I was so humbled by that, that here's a man struggling, losing his house, moving away, but he still knows the grace of giving. I was so, by the way, I went on and, and uh, texted my brother here, and I said, makes me think, what if you give all 100,000? Maybe God will give you a million dollars the next week. <laughs> Well, you can't blame me for trying, right? <laughs> All right. 
No, God, God's, God's principle works. And so we, we really want to learn to trust him in all of this. All right, uh, share the joy. When you have a story, to, by the way, he might not always choose money the way to bless you. Sorry about you. Maybe that's, see, the, 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 there's a sneaky thing is, God does reward, but he knows, he knows our hearts. And if that motivation is there, well, I'm gonna do it because I wanna get rewarded, then he knows that. See, that, it has to be purely out of what he's done for you and me. And that we're not, we're not demanding God to do anything for us. Nevertheless, he will. He may choose, he will enlarge your harvest. And he gets to choose how he does that, okay? All right. Now, also, do something to teach your children about money. Now, if you don't, the culture will. Don't let the culture put your children or your grandchildren in chains, Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so that includes wise money management and generosity. Jesus, out of every six things Jesus talked about, uh, he talked about money. One out of six times. And there are age-appropriate ways to teach this. You know, remember, remember uh, <laughs> finding Nemo and the birds fly in the deck? Mine, mine, mine. Remember that? Yeah, that, that's how we live, mine, mine, mine. God's the only one, God's the only one that's allowed to say that word. And yet it's one of our first words we speak, right? Mine, because it's part of our sin nature. It's not ours. Most of all, he wants us to walk in it. He wants to walk in this spirit of generosity. Our kids need to see us walk. I'm wondering, when I, when I was writing this sermon, I thought, I wonder if my children would really call me a generous person. I'm not sure they would. I'm not sure. My grandchildren, would they see me as a generous person? I, I need to work on that. It's a real danger to pass on our wealth and not wisdom in handling it. I think my parents, great people, generous people, I, I think they thought automatically I would get wise money management. But, but I didn't catch that, although they were. All right, number five, do something to ensure your barn honors God when you die. And you know, your stewardship decisions are going to outlive you. They're gonna have a ripple effect. Now, Jesus told about the rich farmer who had such bumper crops, he kept building bigger barns. And uh, finally, uh, he, 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 just, he just hoarded. He didn't think about the kingdom. He didn't think about anything beyond himself. And God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Can we have the scripture up there, please? You fool, this night, your life will be demanded from you. Those, then, then those, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So what's going to happen to your barn on the day of your death? Now, our money can go on blessing the kingdom of God after we die. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to hoard it all until we die. It means we're going to practice generosity now, and then after we're dead, the, the testimony of our generosity will continue. And you start learning that when you're young. So we teach our children about that even when they're young. We plan for our after death now, long before, I hope, we're going to die. 
What will your money do after you die? Maybe there's a church, our church, or another church you want to bless, or a mission that you believe in, or a parachurch organization, or a Bible college that trains, trains uh, church planters. And so every couple of years, we'll have estate planning here. Well, you hear estate, you think, well, I've got to be a millionaire, so I, I might as well not go to that. Well, that's not true. You have more than you know. And God wants us to be wise in how we're going to handle, how, how the state, how our family, how the world is going to handle our money, our whatever we've left behind when we die. So the next time we have an estate planning seminar, I encourage you to go and think about how, what you want your money to do, how it's going to keep on going and testifying long after you breathe your last. And finally, do something about the absurdity of grace. You know, God made the first move in all this, of course. He's the motivator, right? He's the, one, he's the one we're following. Christianity, our faith, is built on illogical, radical grace and love and mercy. We have been so loved. One of the most important verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 8 9. Let's put it on the screen here. Say it out loud with me. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Grace doesn't make sense to the world, and friends, basically, it doesn't make sense to me, because I deserve hell. I deserve eternal punishment because of my rebellion and my disobedience. I keep saying that because I want us to sense that. I want us to know this is what our destiny should be. But Jesus Christ came to interrupt that and divert my destiny to heaven itself. Now, I get to choose which path to follow. The broad path that leads to destruction or the narrow way that leads to eternal life. Jesus came, and when he died on the cross, all my sins, even my debt sin, was transferred onto my Savior and my Lord. When that widow woman gave her last two coins in the temple and Jesus saw her, he commended her. He didn't say, don't do that, woman. That's silly. You need that for you. No, he didn't do that. He commended her. And here's a widow woman who lived 2,000 years ago in Israel where there was no social security, there wasn't Medicaid, there was no safety net in that culture for her, but she was highly honored because of her sacrifice for God's purposes. Mary, the close friend of Jesus, poured out a jar of perfume on his feet that was worth a year's wages. She was criticized for it by everybody else, but not Jesus. He praised her. And he says in Matthew 26, 13, truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. She was a living test of the absurdity of grace. You see, when you really experience the depth of grace on your life, you can't help, you can't help but give generously. God wants us to steward our money in a way that challenges the world. The world ought to look at us and say, that doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? Why would Jesus do what he did? It's illogical. Kyle Adamant tells about a preacher friend of his whose church building burned down a fire. Everything was destroyed. Everything he had in his office, his computer, his sermon files, his books, everything. And he said to Kyle, the only thing that I have left are the things that I gave away to other people. 
Jesus is coming back, the Bible says, and when he comes back, the Bible says God is going to destroy the earth, the universe with fire. All the elements are going to be burned up with fire. And friends, the only thing, the only thing that will last are the things we have given away for the sake of the kingdom of God. When God sent Jesus into the world, it was a crazy thing for him to do. To send his son, Jesus laid down his life. He did something about the worst thing about us, our rebellion against our creator. And because we have him as our Lord, it's a call for us to do something for him with what we have. I hope we'll take him at his word and trust him with all we've got. But all this is foreign until you lay down your life. God doesn't want one penny from us until we first give our hearts to him. And that's what we do when we're baptized into him. When we are baptized in him, we're giving him our lives, our hearts, we're surrendering. We are being buried in a watery grave. We are resurrected to new life. And then out of that, because we've been so blessed, we just, we try to outgive God and we'll never be able to do it. Today, if you have not been born again, let me encourage you to be baptized into Jesus Christ. Lay down your life. Know the joy of forgiveness of all your sins being washed away and then the power of the Holy Spirit to indwell you so that we can together learn what this life is truly about. He is worthy of our worship. Let's stand together and do that now.